Thank you for the truth of your word. I pray that you will um, give us understanding about you and who you are and what you, uh, your character is like. I pray that we would learn and apply truth to our own hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, <laughs> Reverend Ole was a pastor at the local Norwegian Lutheran Church and Pastor Sven, the minister of the Swedish Covenant Church across the street. And yesterday I saw them standing by the road pounding a sign into the ground that read, which I think is kind of fitting for our study, the end is near, turn yourself around now before it's too late. As the car sped by, the driver leaned out his window and said, leave us alone, you religious nuts. From the curb, we heard screeching and then a splash. Reverend Ole turned to Reverend Sven and asked, do you think maybe the sign should just say bridge out? <laughs> turn around, the end is near. <laughs> anyway. Well... I'm from Minnesota, so we, we have a lot of Svens and Olies up there. <laughs> Throughout history, we've seen God pour out his wrath uh, from the time of the flood, Sodom and Gomorrah, and many times throughout history. But in our studies that we're having during the Great Tribulation, this will be the final outpouring of such a great wrath beyond anything ever seen before. It's the tremendous truth that in the midst of all of his wrath, there has also been his great work to save sinners from his wrath. Whether it's the witnesses of the 144,000 evangelists, the two witnesses in Jerusalem, the countless Gentiles and Jews who come to faith in Jesus, or even the angel flying through the sky calling sinners to, be, to repent, to believe in Jesus. As wrath increases, so does God, God's effort to save the lost. According to chapter 7, verse 9, this will be the greatest harvest of souls throughout history. Of course, most of them will arrive from being martyred, but there will be many who do survive the tribulation and will enter the millennial kingdom alive. Our study today then brings us to the final outpouring of the wrath of God before the return of Jesus to earth. The seventh trumpet judgment ushers in seven bowl judgments. Chapter 15 brings us to a scene in heaven awaiting the start of the bowl judgments the, that are the last and, as you saw in your study, the very worst of all the judgments. This brings about the wrath of God that will be finished when it comes to in all of its fury. Zephaniah wrote about this in chapter 3, verse 8. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up as a witness indeed, my decision is to gather the nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour on them my indignation, all my burning anger, for all the earth will be devoured by the fire of my zeal. Written long, long before the tribulation. As always, I want to thank my husband's notes, John MacArthur's notes, and the library of authors that I read in order to prepare this for you. Pretty much only thing original is my application. <laughs> so. Anyways, we look at the preparation for the bold judgments and the song of the martyrs. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God, and they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. 
Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. So as we begin this chapter, verse 1 sets the scene in heaven in which seven angels have the seven plagues, which are the last of the judgments to be poured out on the earth. The thought behind the Greek word for plague is judicially inflicted pain. These will bring the conclusion to the series of all the divine judgments. The seven angels are ready to do their task as the wrath of God will be fully expressed. God hates sin. He has been so patient offering mercy again and again and again. But the time of mercy is now over. And mankind will know the full wrath of God in his judgment. We read in verse 2 about this sea of glass mixed with fire. And you recall we saw this sea of glass back in chapter 4, verse 6. This is a sea before the throne of God, not like any sea we know. Notice John says, I saw something like a sea of glass, trying to find words to communicate. In chapter 4, the sea reflects God's holiness. But now in this chapter, the sea is mixed with fire, referring to the divine judgment about to be completed. The people that John sees are those who came to faith in Jesus during the tribulation who were martyred for their faith. They may have appeared to be defeated by Antichrist as he rounded them up and massacred them. Uh, From the earth's perspective, they look like they were defeated. But from heaven's perspective, these are the victorious ones, victorious over the beast. That's because death is victory, especially, well, for every believer in every age and especially this age during the tribulation. Paul told us in his uh, scripture, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's true now, and that will be true then. The beast thinks he's murdering believers and that he has the power over their fate. But in reality, he is simply giving them the victory because now they're in heaven with Christ. Because of their great victory, they are filled with great songs of joy, and they have these harps to assist them in their songs of joy. What great music that's going to be. We read in verse 3 that they sang the song of Moses, and Moses composed a few songs of deliverance. I believe it's the one in Exodus 15 referred to here. You recall how Israel was trapped. They were at the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army, and he were charging after them from behind. But the Lord turned that situation into an absolute victory for Israel. And so they sang a song of great joy when they arrived safely on the other side of the sea. And it appears that this is the same reason the tribulation martyrs will sing a song of praise for God delivering them from the evil hand of Antichrist, making them the victors, having arrived in glory. The second part of verse 3 speaks of another song being sung, the song of the Lamb. As the bold judgments are about to fall, there is a song of victory in heaven. The words of worship are all centered on Christ because really worshipful music is about him, not people. These people have experienced firsthand the horrors on earth as the judgments were poured out in their lifetime and they were hunted down like animals. We notice that no one is complaining here about what God permitted them to go through as they suffered. What a great example to us because we too must recognize it is the same sovereign God over the events of our lives, our days, that he allows suffering into our lives. He has a purpose And his character is worthy that we trust him, even when it makes no sense. Their songs begin with praise to God for his works and his ways because he's almighty. The king of the nations is sovereign, even when, as I said, they were being hunted down and martyred in death. Unlike the rest of mankind on earth, there's no bitterness 
with their trials. Everybody on earth is angry and blaspheming God. But not these people who were so mistreated. But rather they have a firm belief that God did what was right. And what he's about to do in judgment is right. Verse 4, the song is of great praise. And it continues as the martyred believers glorify the name of the only true and holy God. Who is worthy to be worshipped by all the nations. At last the answer to the prayer. If you've ever prayed, thy kingdom come. Well, here we are. It's about to be answered in the future here. God does not have to justify his actions to mankind, but he graciously gives us here reasons and explains why he's bringing judgment before it comes. He is sovereign, he is righteous, he is just. Therefore, his judgments bring men to bow before him. This song of the martyrs shows us the severe, bold judgments are proper, they are right when we see the character of God. So next, John sees another group uh, in this scene in heaven, the service of the angels. After these things I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened, and the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple, clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded around their chests with golden sashes. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke, from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter that temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. So here we are. The temple of God, which is in heaven, is open. So as John sees the opening of the temple in heaven, he sees these seven angels, God's servants, come out. And they are going to be carrying these seven plagues. They are clothed in linen, bright and girded with golden sashes. They are pure. These are God's faithful servants. We see that in verse 4, we saw rather that these four living creatures back in chapter 4, verse 8, are the ones who continually cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And it's one of these four who steps forward and gives to the seven angels the seven bowls of the wrath of God. This picture reminds us of the Old Testament priest and their service to God by pouring out His judgments, because God's holiness demands us. They are dressed like holy servants. They come from the presence of the holy of holies. And the living creatures here give them the bowls of God's wrath, as I said, to be poured out. I know it's really challenging for us to try to imagine these judgments that we're about to look at. But we're reminded that we must understand the truth that God is holy And his holiness demands him to be punished. How often we take our own sins so lightly. That is not God's perspective on sin. And we learn that here. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. Smoke has often been associated with the glory and power and holiness of God back in Exodus 19, Isaiah 6, Exodus 40 with the tabernacle or the temple being filled with the glory of God. And until the earth is cleansed and ready for the king and his kingdom, this cloud Uh, glory cloud will remain in the heavenly temple and no one will enter it. We are living in a time when wickedness surely seems to be escalating. I mean, you think back five years, ten years, we could have never imagined where we are today. As sin is applauded, it is praised in its total defiance and blasphemy towards God and his word. So you can only imagine that this is going to continue, ladies, to get worse and worse and worse. This is the nature of the times we're living in and the times to come. But finally, the time for patience and mercy will be replaced by the full wrath of God. 
And just as people harden their hearts today, so they will do so in the tribulation, despite God's mercy being given them. The writer of Hebrews warns all of us, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So this is the background the Lord wanted John and us to have before we look at the next chapter and its horrific judgments being poured out. For those of us who know Christ as our Savior, we never have to face the wrath of God. Here we get a picture of his wrath. Because his wrath was poured out on his perfect sacrifice, Jesus, on behalf of sinners. He bore the wrath that you and I deserve for our sins. And he alone makes it possible to be forgiven, adopted into his family. So I hope that that is true for each one of you here. So as we begin chapter 16, the orders are given and the final judgment of God on this world is about to happen without any restraint. In this series of judgments similar to the plagues of Egypt, the plagues are worldwide and each one is more intense and severe than the last. And they don't stop, the ones that are started, it's just accumulative. They happen in quick, rapid succession just before the return of Christ to earth. So these are the last expressions of God's divine wrath to a sinful, blasphemous, defiant, God-hating world. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went out, went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and it became loathsome and malignant sores on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became blood like that of a dead man and every living thing in the sea died. So this first bowl judgment, as the wrath of God is poured out on the people, they are afflicted then with uh, all those who joined in their allegiance to Antichrist are the ones who are afflicted. And they suddenly find themselves with these painful, horrific, malignant sores. Some type of boil similar to what God inflicted on the Egyptians. There will be an unending anguish. There'll be no cure. There'll be no relief. And then when the second bowl is poured out, so all the oceans turn to blood and all the marine life, think about everything in the oceans, dead. Remember when Moses tried uh, to get Pharaoh to let Israel go, go, the Nile River was one of the judgments as it turned to blood as well. But in this judgment, every ocean in the entire world will be blood. And then the third bowl, a third angel poured out uh, into all the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, Righteous are you who are and who were, O holy one, because you judge these things, for they poured out the, rat, the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. So now, lakes, rivers, ponds, everything. There's no fresh water anywhere. Nothing to drink except this blood-like liquid. Think of the stench of the water around the world and every pond and every lake and every ocean of all the dead animals floating in it. The angel then justifies this terrible judgment by declaring how righteous and holy God is that the world deserves this treatment because they're the ones who shed the blood of God's people and now they're forced to drink blood. <clears throat> God is now answering the question given by the tribulation martyrs way back in chapter 6 verse 9. How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Well, the time has come. As one Bible author put it, 
In God's government, the punishment fits the crime. Pharaoh tried to drown the Jewish baby boys, but it was his own army that drowned in the Red Sea. Haman planned to hang Mordecai on the gallows and to exterminate all the Jews, but he himself was hanged on the gallows and his family was exterminated. King Saul refused to obey God's clear command to slay the Amalekites, and he was slain by an Amalekite. Romans 12:19 says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. I think this is such a great reminder that God alone can look into the people's hearts and judge. And it's not our role to try to bring harm or try to inflict our version of justice on somebody who has harmed us in some way. God knows what he's doing. He will set the record straight. He will repay. The fourth bowl is an angel poured out upon the sun and given to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat. And they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues. And they did not repent so as to give him glory. So this bowl is poured out on the sun. And the result is men are scorched then by this incredible intense heat from the sun. So God's going to change the normal patterns of the sun's rays from being a blessing and a joy to being a curse. I don't know what trees are left on the planet after everything that's happened. Where you go for protection... And, and any kind of really good shelter. So he increases the heat of the sun so that there will be this heat wave with such intensity that people are tortured. Though believers, as I said before, are alive, will be spared this. Try to imagine the burning heat with ulcerated sores all over your body, and the only way to quench your thirst is to drink blood. How desperate will this time be? And yet we see the response of the people is they blaspheme God and refuse to repent, refuse to give him glory. They know it's him bringing these judgments. Clearly, people understand that the judgments are from God, and yet they still will not submit to him because they have chosen instead to set their alliance to Antichrist, this world leader who thinks and acts like he has all the answers. They curse the name of the Lord, and this reflects what Scripture teaches us. You know what Romans tells us? There's no one who's good. There is no one who seeks after God. It's only as God intervenes that any of us would come to him. That brings us to the fifth bowl. Then the fifth angel poured out, <clears throat> on his bowl, out of his bowl on the throne of the beast. And his kingdom became darkened and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and they did not repent of their deeds. So with lack of proper water and food, intense heat, horrific sores of pain for the masses of the people, it would seem here that Antichrist would try to provide for himself and his staff. However, in this judgment, we see that the bowl is poured out specifically on his kingdom, his central command. As everyone outside this kingdom is suffering, God's going to make sure Antichrist is covered with such darkness. So the whole world's going to have a visual. This is the kingdom of darkness. This is what your leader is. Somehow in this darkness, there seems to be a greater level of pain for the people and the sores that they have, and they're biting their tongues in agony. Yet these tongues are never going to say, help me, God. The sixth bowl that is poured out by the sixth angel is on the great river, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the water would be prepared for the kings of the east. And that brings us to Armageddon. 
And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs, and they are spirits of demons, performing signs which go out to all the kings of the whole earth to gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men see, not see his shame. And they gather them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Har Megiddo. So this bowl is poured out specifically on the Euphrates River. It's a river east of Israel. The river through the old Babylonian Empire. It's the dividing line between east and west. 1,700 miles long, it flows into the Persian Gulf. This river will be dried up for preparation then of this invasion by the kings of the east to Israel. So this river that has always been a natural protection in some ways for Israel is dried up. The kings of the east will cross it. So who are these kings of the east? Many said, oh, this must be China, because China's in the east. But remember, we have to remember that in the Bible, the east is not a reference to China, but to those in the area around the Euphrates and the Tigris, like Persia, Iran, Iraq, Syria. These are the key players. They are coming from the east of Israel in order to defeat and destroy this nation at long last. However, it is actually God who is bringing them there for this final battle known as Armageddon. We see in verses 13 and 14 that demonic spirits go forth from these three individuals, the dragon who is Satan, the beast who is the Antichrist, and uh, the false prophet who is this religious world leader who arises. They're compared to frogs. You know, frogs croak. Uh, they hop around in slimy water or mud. They can come from any direction. And that's how it will be with these unclean spirits from this unholy trinity. Like frogs, these demons will jump around the world. They're going to stir up all the nations in order to motivate them to come to Israel. I suspect they're going to deceive people saying, if we eradicate this, pe this people and this place, all will be well. In verse 14, these spirits will perform miracles so that people are going to go, oh, this, this is who we should follow. They're going to seduce all the armies of the entire world together to, for war. I can't help but thinking, what kind of shape is the army in? I don't know. People are not going to be in good health, but there's going to be an army <clears throat> from all over the world, and they're coming. This is the war of the great day of God the Almighty. So these armies will think that they are gathering because they're making great war plans. But in reality, it's the demons motivating them, deceiving them so that they come, so that they will gather there for all the world because God is going to defeat them there. How many books and movies have been written about Armageddon by people who have no clue what that's about? <clears throat> the word Armageddon is made up of two Hebrew words, which means hill of Megiddo. It's located on the western end of the valley of Jezreel or the plain of Esterlan, same thing in Israel. Mount Megiddo overlooks this valley of Jezreel, and if you've had the privilege of being in Israel, you know, you stood there, and you looked at this vast, vast open area, which is now all farming, land growing food, but one day it is the gathering place for all the nations and armies of the world to come. And that's where they'll plan their attack to destroy Israel and Jerusalem. This war of Armageddon will be a series of battles. It's not just one. According to Joel 3, Isaiah 62, and Zechariah 12. The staging area where all the armies will, rather, uh, will rally together will be here at Megiddo, in the Valley of Jezreel. 
As one commentator said about the prophecy from Zechariah 12, the nations of the world will be intoxicated over Jerusalem. They won't think straight about the city. Like a man who is drunk, so will the nations of the world be concerning Israel. The world will have taken leave of its senses concerning Israel. Clearly, even in our present day uh, and times that we're living in, it's not very hard to imagine this. Even today, you read any news, any day, about all the countries obsessed with this tiny little piece of land that they want to destroy this nation, and in particular, Jerusalem. Someday, though, all the nations of the world will gather and get their desired accomplished to gather all together against Israel. In particular, they're going to seek to destroy Jerusalem. Zechariah 12 speaks of this. Behold, I'm going to make Jerusalem a cup that it causes reeling to all the peoples around. And when the siege is against Jerusalem, it will be against Judah. It will come about in that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it up will be severely injured and all the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. It would seem that the propaganda from the demons, and you know they're doing that today so well all around the world, but the propaganda at this time will convince all the peoples of the world that they must go here. They must go wipe out Jewish believers, wipe out Israel. For the good of mankind, this place must be destroyed. Some wonder why the Bible speaks of marching into Israel with our modern day nuclear bombs. That would seem like a quicker way to deal with it. Well, this is what God's word says it's going to be. And according to military leaders, soldiers are needed to push the enemy together so that there's a concentration of people, even if they wanted to drop a bomb. In the sixth seal, the, the rivers dry up so the eastern armies can cross as they attempt to destroy Israel. However, the covenant keeper of Israel is not going to let that happen. He will return to judge these nations of the world. And once they have gathered, the return of Christ is imminent. Jesus is coming like a thief, he says, and blessed are they that watch for him. So this is a challenge to the tribulation saints alive at this time to be ready, stay dressed, be prepared for his return because like a thief, you don't know, it's unexpected, it's unannounced. And they are to make sure that their lives are in order, ready, dressed, walking in obedience so that there is no shame when he appears. So having gathered the armies of the world together for war, lured there by demons to be at this place, this is all in the plan of God. And that brings us to the last bowl. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there was a great earthquake such as has not been uh, since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it, and so mighty the great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found, and huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, because the plague was extremely severe. So this last bowl is being poured out from the air the atmosphere and with a loud voice the announcement comes from heaven that the judgments it is over it is done this is the final one the greatest earthquake in all of history will split the city of jerusalem to three parts this is distinguished from the city of babylon in the next verse 
The Mount of Olives will be split in two. We know that. And a new valley will run, run east and west, according to Zechariah 14. This will, not be, this will not be judgment on Jerusalem like what's going on in the rest of the world. But there will be a physical change that prepares Jerusalem for its part in the millennial kingdom. Whatever is left of cities around the world, they will all fall. Islands will sink to the sea. Mountains will collapse. The earth will be completely unrecognizable. God is going to shake this wicked world so that no one would know what it was like. But in addition to this massive earthquake, God sends huge hailstones that weigh 100 pounds falling from heaven on people. Everything that man has put their hope in, all their wealth, their homes, their jewels, their everything, it's destroyed. We read in verse 21, men blaspheme God because of the plague of the hail, because it was so extreme. Humanity will remain hateful towards God. These have sold their own souls to Satan. As they committed to follow Antichrist and his evil system, it will be too late for them. But it is not too late for any of you sitting here today. Call upon this holy, just judge of the universe to save you from his wrath by trusting in his son Jesus for the forgiveness of all of your heinous and my heinous offenses against such a holy God. I pray no one here has hardens their heart like the majority of mankind is going to do in the future. So next time we are going to look at the destruction of the final world religion and the whole socioeconomical world system. We don't have to understand every detail, ladies, or exactly how everything's going to take place. But God has given us enough information for the future, and he didn't have to do that at all. So what impact does this have on you and I? Well, the first one is, clearly, are you prepared for this future that we are studying about? Is your faith in Christ alone to save you? And then secondly, if you've trusted him, then are you so thankful for your salvation, no matter how awful life is here on earth. I think about these tribulation saints, and they're just praising God. They're not going, thinking only about their misery on earth. They are so thankful for their salvation. Peter reminds us in uh, the day of the Lord is coming, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Let's not make a disconnect. You know, here's the future. God's going to pour out his wrath. I'm living right now here. We have to live and walk in obedience. That is what we are to be. We are to be kind. We are to be thoughtful. We are to be loving. We are to be forgiving. We are to be trusting. We are to be not rude. And all the commands that we have, bearing one another's burdens. It matters, ladies, how we spend our time. It matters how you spend your money. It matters that you're willing to be inconvenienced to serve the body of Christ and fellow believers. Our priorities then must be the same as what God's priorities are. We are not left here to live for ourselves and make a comfy, safe, happy life. That's a delusion. We are to live for God's glory. Remember, God alone is the qualified judge of the universe. So it is not your responsibility or mine to punish the people who have done hurtful things in our lives. Like Jesus, we must keep entrusting ourselves to the Father and not revile others when we are suffering. God will repay evil for evil. It's not our role. It's not our responsibility. Father, these are really hard verses to study and read, and I thank you that you decided to tell us what's coming. 
I pray that you'll use it in our lives to see really who you are and that we won't take our sin so lightly because you are a God who hates sin. And I pray that we would desire and have victory so we do walk in obedience. Yes, we fall, we sin, we repent, we get back up and walk and do what is right again. I pray for each lady here, Lord, whatever battle they're facing today and going home to when they walk away from here, Lord, help them to be committed to being obedient, to loving you, to following you no matter what awful things may cross their path. Lord, we thank you that you're in control. We thank you that you are sovereign even over pain and suffering. In Jesus' name, amen.